This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council On Air comes to you 6pm Tuesdays here on OR 105.4 FM and 1575 AM. Join Lux, Valerie and their special guests to hear the latest from the Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council and celebrate unity through diversity. DMEC On Air, 6pm Tuesdays with podcasts available anytime from oar.org. .nz, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the DMEC Youth Radio Show. I am Max, a third-year medical student, and I'm normally joined by Abby, a third-year dental student. However, she is currently recovering from COVID, so it'll fall to me to take us through today's topic that I'm going to be talking about. And today I'm, I'm going to be discussing... Uh, COVID and its effects on the Māori and Pacific ethnic group throughout this current COVID pandemic. Uh, we're going to be discussing uh, previous pandemics and how that has affected uh, these groups, how we've done throughout the start of the pandemic, and how our current strategies are affecting our Māori and Pacific groups. So let's jump right on into it. So one thing that was clear to us, even at the very start of this pandemic, before we really knew much about what was going on with COVID, is that throughout history, we have noticed that diseases like COVID does not impact ethnic groups evenly. We can look back at the 1918 influenza pandemic, where the death rate for Māori was seven times higher compared to the European ethnic groups, with 1 in 20 Māori ending up dead. More recently, looking at the 2009 H1N1 influenza pandemic, death rates were twice as high for Māori compared to the European slash other groups. And in that case, Māori were three times as likely to be hospitalised with, with that disease and nearly three times as likely to die. And quite importantly, for what we're going to be talking about today, we have to note that these inequities in disease rates and mortality during the 2009 H1N1 pandemic and other pandemics are not just localised to New Zealand. These are seen for indigenous populations across the world. Uh, most predominantly, we can see them in Australia and Canada. So that really leads us to question, why are indigenous groups more affected by these diseases? Uh, and when we go to think about that, we think about uh, common risk factors, really, for these communicable diseases. So these infectious diseases, why are Indigenous people more likely to get them? Because they share these risk factors like social deprivation. They have lower quality housing on average. Uh, fuel and heating, they have less access to because of financial difficulties. And when we look at all that and we take into account poverty and household crowding, it really paints a grim picture. So let's take this back to New Zealand. One in five Māori live in overcrowded housing, and when we compare that to only one in 25 Pākehā living in overcrowded housing, we can see that these, that these risk factors are really different in terms of magnitude between these groups. And the result of these inequities can be shown in various diseases, not just COVID. So I'm talking about influenza, meningococcal disease, tuberculosis, and various different streptococcal diseases, such as rheumatic fever, which we've talked about on a previous podcast. So what I'm really trying to say here 
So all of these factors, social deprivation, overcrowded housing, it makes it so that Māori and Pacifica people are at much higher risk of these really dangerous diseases. And what we found throughout the course of this pandemic is that overcrowding is of really huge importance in the transmission of COVID. Uh, we could see this quite early on, really, uh, when we look at the huge explosions in Italy and China really early on in, in the pandemic, we saw that the vast majority of transmission was within households. Then we looked to Singapore, uh, lots of migrant workers in really overcrowded and unsanitary conditions. They had heaps of transmission. All of these were very well publicised in the international media, but on, a, but on a smaller scale here in New Zealand, this played out the exact same way, with our Māori and Pacific communities having much more transmission in the household. And something that really springs to mind when talking about this household transmission is that, of course, when you get COVID, you have to isolate at home, which leads to a really high risk of household transmission among households with these much more crowded conditions, which we've just talked about, is at a much higher rate in our Māori and, and Pacifica groups. And it's also at much higher risk for any multi-generational household. So having children and grandparents and parents all living in the same house is a much higher risk factor for transmission and more severe disease. And the outcome that we've seen internationally, not just at home, is that these racial and ethnic inequities and rates of infection have been reflected in New Zealand. Higher infection rates have been shown for indigenous communities across the world. Some notable examples include Native Hawaiians and, and, and Pacific people in some states in the US, as well as, of course, our Māori and, and Pacific people here at home. So the big thing here that we want to think about then is what has the impacts on COVID been on our Māori and Pacific groups? And the big key point here is that the severity and risk of death with COVID increases with comorbidities. And what I mean by comorbidities is other health conditions like, you know, a cardiovascular condition, a pulmonary condition, a renal condition that you have on the site and then contract COVID on top of that. That really increases your risk of death and, and getting severe disease. And what, and what we need to know is that Māori and, and Pacific people have greater rates of these and are therefore at a greater risk of severe COVID and death compared to Pākehā. And what I found quite interesting to learn is that the age that these, comor that these comorbidities occur is generally lower in Māori and Pacific peoples compared to Pākehā. And what that means is that Māori and, and Pacific people get sicker younger. And this all really came to a head when Delta came. When it came, it spread through marginalised communities and cities, and it hit hardest with people who have a history of alcohol and drug dependency, mental health problems, long-term poverty, and who lived in, in overcrowding living conditions. And these are all groups that Māori and Pacific people are overrepresented. So they have all of these risk factors, they have these, comor these comorbidities, they are more likely to get them and get them at a younger age. And so when all is said and done, we get to the statistics. And what they say is that Māori and, and Pacific people make up 37% of all deaths from COVID in New Zealand, with the Pacific people having the highest death rate during the Omicron outbreak. 
with the majority of deaths under 60 being moldy. And what we found is that moldy are 2.5 times as likely to be admitted to hospital than non-moldy for COVID and are 50% more likely to die of COVID. So we've got these comorbidities, we've got these, these really risky factors that the moldy and Pacifica are overrepresented in, and this has resulted in much higher rates of hospitalization and death from COVID. And while we're on this topic, there's just one major risk factor that I want to touch on, because it's been a bit misleading and potentially dangerous in how it's been publicized throughout the pandemic, and that's age. Uh, age is most certainly a really strong risk factor for death from COVID. If you're over 80 and contract COVID, you're at a much higher risk of hospitalization or death. And the next thing to think about there is, okay, Māori and, and Pacific peoples, on average, have a much younger age demographic. So you'd think that then this would be protective of the group as a whole. Of course, if Māori and, and Pacific people are on average much younger than Pākehā, and age is such a strong risk factor, then wouldn't this be more protective towards Māori and Pacific people? But of course, this is not the case, as we've just talked about with those statistics before. And then why is this? If age is such a strong risk factor, why are Māori and Pacific people still more at risk of death and hospitalization from COVID? And while age is, of course, important to consider when you get a diagnosis of COVID, you need to look at the underlying reasons why older age is a problem for people with COVID to get that full picture. So we're not entirely sure why age is such a strong risk factor, but one idea is that older people have a higher burden of pre-existing health issues, which may be the reason or part of a reason why age is such a big risk factor for death from COVID. And if this is the case, then indigenous populations being younger doesn't offer any protection on the whole, because Māori and other indigenous groups around the world get many health conditions about 10 to 20 years earlier than Pākehā or Europeans. And this contributes to the lower life expectancy of indigenous populations around the world. So the issue is then, if we're focusing on age as being the main risk factor in the public eye, then this disadvantages Māori and Pacific people, who would suffer disproportionately compared to Pākehā in terms of severe and fatal cases of COVID despite being younger than that 80-plus age bracket. Uh, what they've found is that the risk of hospital admission from COVID for a 40-year-old Māori or a 35-year-old Pacific person is approximately equivalent to the risk of hospital admission of a 60-year-old European for COVID. So this is a really serious issue if we're focusing on age as being the main risk factor and not taking into account that a Māori or Pacific person who may present younger than that 80 plus bracket is actually still at a really high risk. So then that leads to our next question. Okay, so we've looked at these risk factors. We've looked at these reasons why Māori and, and Pacific people are more at risk and they have been shown that they are actually at that higher risk with that increased death rate and hospitalization rate. So then what are the ramifications of COVID on Māori and Pacific people in New Zealand 
beyond the fact that these cases were more severe and death rates higher? Well, let's look at some stats first. Well, the government found throughout 2020 to 2021, in that first big year of COVID, was that 6.3% of adults and 3.6% of children did not see a GP due to COVID, with slightly smaller numbers not being able to fill a prescription due to COVID. And this was felt disproportionately in the Maori and Pacific groups due to pre-existing inequities in healthcare access that may lead to differences in COVID detection. So with less access to testing, less access to primary healthcare, and by that I mostly mean access to, to GP clinics, there could be a much higher risk of undetected cases in Maori and Pacific people. And these existing inequities have been amplified as the system is put under pressure of COVID-related hospitalizations, overbooking of clinics, and other strains on the system as a whole. And let's look at what we know. So we know that the greatest barrier to healthcare, despite government subsidies, is financial. Uh, people can't access GP after hours for after work. They can't access GPs in the weekend for, for when they don't have work. They are, they are unable to fill prescriptions, either because they can't get the time to go to the pharmacy or because they can't afford to actually get the prescription at all. And there's also evidence across a range of diseases of lower quality care being provided to Māori compared to non-Māori. And when we look at the reasons for that, we see that, uh, that institutionalised racism does play a role, where the values and structures of the healthcare system that was not made for Māori health needs and values in mind. And while this isn't necessarily malicious or the case of blatant racism, it does mean that there needs to be some restructuring of the system as a whole to, to account for these Māori health needs and values. And of course, we can't uh, overlook the fact that individual racism or bias by healthcare workers, whether that be implicit or explicit, is much more commonly reported by Māori. And it's important to note here that with reduced access to primary health care due to COVID, this will impact on Māori and Pacific groups more broadly in other diseases than COVID, that Māori and Pacific groups are already disproportionately affected by. Uh, so we're talking about um, things like meningococcal disease, streptococcal, those diseases that we talked about earlier that Māori and Pacific people are more at risk for. And there is evidence from the previous influenza pandemics of inequitable increases in all-cause mortality driven by deaths from influenza, but also an increase in other health events, in part due to these reductions in healthcare access. So all this is to say that not only is COVID hitting Māori and Pacifica groups really hard, but it's also affecting their health in a much broader fashion. They can't access the GP as well. They can't get prescriptions as well. They have less quality health care, and they will also be suffering from other health events because of this reduction in access to health care. So why is this important? I mean, obviously it's important because of the you know practical and moral issues of having a healthcare system that produces inequitable health outcomes for, for certain ethnic groups. But there's also another reason, 
is that legally the government has an obligation to the consideration of Māori health and equity under the Treaty of Waitangi and also the United Nations Declaration of, on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And this is something that has been in the news quite a bit recently following the Waitangi Tribunal report at the end of December last year. And it has found that um, that the government is not fulfilling its obligations under the treaty and under the Declaration of Rights of the Indigenous Peoples. So let's look back on the current strategy against COVID and how that stacks against our previous strategy before the outbreak of Delta and Omicron. So at the very start of the outbreak, New Zealand's zero COVID approach was very effective before that rise of Delta and Omicron. Uh, there was very little COVID in the country and largely it was, an, it was an approach that sought an equitable outcome between all ethnic groups in New Zealand. But once these variants came, Delta and Omicron, there was a shift to just the endemic acceptance of having COVID in the country and trying to maximize uh, the amount of people in the population who had the vaccine. And this is when some questions really come into the fray. And we can see that there are concerns that the government isn't adhering to their legal responsibilities in striving to provide equitable health outcomes for Māori. Uh, and the result of this shift has been really to the detriment of our Māori population. And the Waitangi Tribunal found that the, found that the government definitely failed to actively protect Māori people and failed to include equity in their decision making. And really what the tribunal focused on is that the government didn't prioritise Māori over the age of 50 early in the vaccine rollout. So you can remember uh, when it was the elderly, you know, 80 and above, who were most focused to get the vaccine very early on. And this is because of that age major risk factor that I talked about earlier. And I also talked about how this isn't necessarily the most helpful risk factor to look at when considering if the patient is Māori or Pacifica. And while still on the topic of age limitations to get that vaccine, you can remember how before these lower age limitations to receive the vaccine were lifted, Māori and Pacific people were disproportionately unable to receive the vaccine because of how young their age demographic is, which we talked about earlier. Māori and, and Pacific people, on average, are a lot younger, and therefore, on average, were a lot later to get the vaccine. Uh, the government realised this, and they shifted to prioritising Māori and Pacific vaccination rates, with mobile vaccination buses and more funding to, to target these groups in particular, but clearly it's too little and too late for those who have already died. And the work is clearly not done when we look at the current vaccination rates across the country. When we look at the total average rate, we're looking at 95.2 for ages 12 and up who are fully vaccinated. When we look at the Pacific people, that's 96.6%, so really good. Then we look at the Māori group, which is 88.2%, which is much better than it was previously, 
but is obviously not equitable and is definitely going to be predisposing this group to much worse health outcomes going forward. So the job is not done until we can continue to strive to get these equitable health outcomes with Māori having a much higher vaccination rate, which will then lead to much better rates of favourable outcomes for people who do contract COVID. So this has been, in general, a pretty dark and dreary uh, show. So I wanted to end on a bit of a high note, as it were, uh, and looking at the influenza vaccine. So like in many things in healthcare, of course, Māori are more likely to get influenza. They generally have lower rates of vaccination against influenza. However, the vaccination rates for Māori over 65 years of age has increased from 45.8% in 2019 to 59% in 2020. And this is really significant given the really small improvements that have been observed in the years previous. And this means that the overall influenza equity gap for Māori 65 and over, who are, of course, at much higher risk of severe disease and death from influenza, has reduced in 2020 from 12.1% to 8.4%. Still a sizable and significant gap in equity, but a massive improvement. And one of the big reasons for that is due to COVID, actually, which is probably a big surprise how it's actually good for something. With a much higher focus on vaccination in the general public eye, the influenza vaccine has been much more successful, as well as the Māori influenza vaccine program that has been run by the Ministry of Health on recent years. So we can hope that this current trend will continue for other diseases like HPV or meningococcal disease, and we can get an uptick in vaccination rates across the board. So with that touch of good news and happy endings to an otherwise very bleak podcast, let's go over what we've had a chat about today. So we started off with the fact that it's been clearly shown throughout history that that the pandemics like the influenza pandemic of 1918 or, to, or 2009 do not impact ethnic groups equally. And this has been seen time and time again in higher rates of mortality across the board. And this is true for many indigenous populations across the world. So why are the, the indigenous populations more affected? This is because they all share these common risk factors for communicable disease. We're talking about social deprivation, quality of housing, the financial burdens of poverty and household crowding with overcrowding being of particular importance in the transmission of COVID. And the impact, as we've seen internationally, these racial and ethnic inequalities in rates and severity of COVID. And then we had a look at the health impacts of COVID on Māori, and we considered these comorbidities that Māori and Pasirka people have in much higher rates than Pākehā that predispose them to much more severe COVID outcomes, which all came to a head with Delta, with Omicron, 
and led to some really bad statistics for Māori and Pacifica health outcomes. We discussed the problem of age being a major risk factor in the public eye, where being over 80 is, is being presented as a major risk factor, but this then obscures the fact that if you are Māori or Pacifica, then they still have those really high risk factors, even if they're younger than that upper age bracket. And then we had a little look at the exacerbating factors of these inequities in healthcare, how there's been reduced access to primary healthcare, reduced access to the GP clinics, and how this has not only made their health outcomes for COVID worse, but also their more general health outcomes worse across the board, which has been seen in the past as an all-cause mortality increase during these influenza pandemics. And then we had a little look at why this is so important beyond the fact of the practical and moral issues of having a healthcare system that does produce these inequitable outcomes for certain ethnic groups, we had a chat about the legality of it and how the Waitangi Tribunal in December last year had found that the government was neglecting their legal obligations to the Treaty of Waitangi and to the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples due to their vaccine rollout scheme that did not take into account the higher risks that Māori and Pacifica people have to these severe COVID outcomes. So that's what we've been talking about today. It's been a heavy podcast and hopefully next month on the fourth Tuesday at 6pm when we come back again uh, we'll have a bit more of a lighter chat for you guys. By then, Abby will be back to join me, having recovered from COVID. So, as always, it's been a pleasure. Stay safe, stay healthy, and join us back next month when we go over some more health-related topics that impact on our ethnic groups across our country. See ya! Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council on Air comes to you 6pm Tuesdays here on OR 105.4 FM and 1575 AM. Join Lux, Valerie and their special guests to hear the latest from the Dunedin Multi-Ethnic Council and celebrate unity through diversity. DMEC on Air, 6pm Tuesdays with podcasts available anytime from oar.org.nz, Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.